Nothing moves without black culture. And actually at the helm, the very centre of those cultural moments is always black women. We drive culture, we move culture. We are the ultimate influencer. We are the ultimate innovator. There isn't anything that we are not at the centre of. TTYA Talks, the podcast. So guys, you know, every week we need to be focused. And our guest today is Ghanaian British cultural curator, entrepreneur and investor. She's based in London and she's the CEO of Black Girl Fest, the UK's first festival celebrating black British women and girls and who've built a community of over 30,000 online and IRL. Guys, you know we came here to be serious. We came to be focused. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Nicole Crinsall to TTYA Talks. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to TTYA Talks. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) So, you know, every week we need to be focused. So now we're just going to get into it. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your family life, culture, where you grew up, what school, what you studied. Give us some background on you. Yeah, sure. So I, interestingly, was born in Ghana. Um, My family moved over to the UK when I was really young and we kind of lived in West London first. And that was quite an interesting kind of culture shock because I went from being like around, surrounded by black people, my culture specifically, and then suddenly being immersed in a completely opposite space, which was in like West London, where I felt like I was and I was actually the only black girl in my school. Um, so that was a real kind of shock to the system when I was when I was really young in primary school. But yeah, so my family basically lived in West London and then kind of moved to like Northwest London. I went to several different primary schools, mainly because I actually had a really interesting experience where I was kind of racially bullied in school. So I went to a different school to basically be a, surrounded around more black kids. Um, and in school, I was always the creative type. I was the kind of person who would be making things with their hands. My mom was a seamstress. So she always had people in their house who were, <laughs> who were fabric, sending fabric all over the place, constantly like trying to like get her to make this outfit and that outfit. Um, so I was kind of always immersed around creativity. Um, very much my parents wanted us to, you know, come to the UK and have a really good education and have a really good career, but they also really encouraged us to be creative. So from a really young age, random fact, but like from when I was like 10, I was really good at putting together IKEA furniture. Like it was a really weird thing that my mom used to make me come and do for people. She was like, oh, look, she can just make stuff. And I remember as a kid thinking like, you know, how how who designs this like what is the system behind this it felt like I was it was a puzzle and I just kept completing it so I was really interested in design industrial design product design and I was really kind of I just took a fancy to it mainly because I didn't want to go down the route of fashion because I felt like my mum had really taken over that side mm. but I was so still interested in design and creativity um so I went to study resistant materials as it used to be called in my school which was so much fun because I got to play around with different materials and just basically some cut MDF, you know, do some crazy stuff with metal. And then I went to study that at um, A-levels. And then I also then went to study that at university for four years. So I studied industrial and product design at university at Nottingham Trent. And that was like the most incredible experience because I remember my, um, my teacher in, in like sixth form was very much just like, you know, it's really amazing that you want to go study this at university, but like, heads up you're not really going to see a lot of people that look like you in the industry and I was just like why are you raining on my parade like I'm about to go to uni like I'm about to hold up I was like I'm gonna be a designer I'm gonna get a job in a design studio Uh, 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 uh." 
But, you know, I was hit with the realities of <laughs> how much there is a lack of diversity in that space. You know, I didn't see other industrial designers and product designers who I really admire who have my similar background, you know. Even the syllabus that were being taught at school, they didn't really t- teach us anything outside of, like, European designers. When I knew mm-hmm. that product designers existed on the continent of Africa and we were creating things that were just you know that that was just so historical into the way that we see design today and it was just so kind of it just reminded me how like about what my tutor said but also the fact that I was walking into an industry where I was going to be the singular person for a very long time um Mm. so that was like my creative journey I've, I've always felt really passionate about design and I've always felt like there was a place for me there but I think the realities of not really finding an internship and really kind of hustling to make things work meant that I had to kind of create my own lane and I guess from like what I do right now in my career it's just constantly trying to create new lanes and bring people on that lane with me and um, really establish new spaces for other black women to see themselves being reflected. Oh, I love that. Like, how did your kind of culture, um, you know, coming from a Ghanaian um, household, I'm also West African. And I know like sometimes I love the fact that you kind of mentioned that, you know, your family were quite open to you going into more of a creative background. But, you know, obviously traditionally West African heritage, you know, comes with this stigma of academic, academic, yeah. academic, <laughs> you know. So how did you kind of navigate through that? Or, you know, I know you said that your family were quite open to it, but, you know, I think sometimes that conversation can get a bit sticky, especially when it comes into yeah. the a bit yeah like how did you navigate that conversation it was an interesting one because I have an older brother who I kind of he kind of had to deal with the forefront all of having that conversation and I kind of followed in like I'm gonna study design so he actually went to go study textile print design he did a um he went central central at Martins and then afterwards he went to Chelsea College of Art and I think for my mom, it was seeing that actually this was a career. Like he was, he went to Paris and Louis Vuitton bought some prints. And she was like, wow, this is amazing. And I think two years later, when I was thinking about going to university, I just kind of used him as the excuse, like, look how amazing he's doing. Like I could do this amazing thing as well. So I really had to kind of um, really state my case. So I didn't end up doing like a really uh, kind of medical or law degree. But then also when I realized it in my four year degree, lots of people in my family didn't know what I was doing. They didn't understand product design. They didn't understand where it could lead me. They didn't understand what job I would get. Me too, I didn't understand, but I was doing, I was in it, right? I was, the four years are there for me to understand, you know? <laughs> I, I love like that. 30 grand so I can figure it out, you know, figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, but like when I would do like get awards or I would design something, I would really have to do like double the explanation to my family to be like, mm. oh, this is what I've been trying to do. And, you know, I used to say things like um, to my grandma specifically, I used to say like everything around you has been designed by someone mm. <laughs> and I'm one of those people. And that's Keep how she them. would understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that breakdown. I love that breakdown. Give it to them because I think it's important. Like, so essentially your brother took the brunt of the gist and yeah, then you were yeah, able yeah. to come second, second in command behind and just be like, look what he did. This is what we can do. Like I tell yeah. the story all the time, but it was the same for me until my brand got stocked in Selfridges. My mom had no idea really what I was doing for all that time. Business plan core, business plan, like business plan knee. Like every time she would just be like, okay, I'll figure this out. But then when it got into Selfridges, it was something tangible that she could relate yeah. to that she understood. So I guess your yeah. brother's print's been bought by Louis Vuitton and like your parents kind of get that gist, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. fully. So I want to kind of get into your career, like, and kind of 
understand a bit more because I think especially at the moment that kind of curator term gets used a lot and people don't really understand like what it means or what it what Mm. what you need to make a good creator so what makes a good cultural curator and what are some of the perks of your job yeah I mean it's one of those uh titles that it's quite hard to define I think some people I always say it's a bit like A&R you kind of find yourself in that role because you're good at doing so many different things in one space but I think what makes a really good cultural curator is someone who is really engaged across various different cultural conversations um across art across music across events um the ways in which as a society culture is defined and redefined is someone who is constantly acute to all those definitions mm. all at the same time I'm- and I think the kind of skill set that really requires that is someone who's who knows how to plug in to various different mm. cultures and is able to stay um abreast with like the different conversations coming out of it um and then I think depending on what medium you're working in so if you're working across like music or or arts or um programming in general you can then produce so many different kind of activations that is around those specific different cultural spaces um and those conversations coming out of them so it's really exciting for people who for example can sit across various different industries and can be a culture curator in that in that sense um, and specifically in a, in, a, in a city like London, where it's like brimming with different cultures and subcultures, you can have like a whale of a time, like, you know, pre, pre-lockdown, you can have a whale of a time producing really engaging conversations and activations that bring and tell different stories. Um, so that's kind of what I see and how I've been kind of navigating that space. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the major perks is... I guess it depends if you're the kind of person who loves meeting people, meeting Mm. people is like a major perk. You get connected to various different people's um, backgrounds. You get to learn a bit more about where people come from, what their story is and how to bring about those stories and really engaging kind of cultural moments. And um, I think another perk is if you like to stay connected with various different people, you get to work across subcultures but also globally as well you get Mm. to kind of connect people and conversations in such a global global lens that you're not kind of fixed just one space you have to kind of constantly working across various different mediums and conversations and it keeps things interesting you know how can you connect this global voice with this global voice how can you connect this global experience with this global experience and and do that through various different mediums I think that's really cool because you know like I always say that there's like another version of myself in like Brazil somewhere or Colombia there's like a black girl who's doing exactly what I'm doing and her story is just as rich and interesting as my story and I love to find a way a kind of culture curator connects them you know it connects Mm. those two different conversations Mm. connects those different cultures and we have a really immersive conversation and Mm. um yeah I think that's really powerful I think that's really cool um for someone to kind of find themselves in that space so yeah I think it's an amalgamation of so many different practices skill sets experiences but I definitely feel like there are more and more people who are so good at doing that role they probably don't even realize that they're they're, they're kind of cultural curators and producers. Um, mm. So, yeah. I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertently, <laughs> she is I and I is she. I is um, she. <laughs> but, I, you, you know, I'm going to give you your accolades here because obviously Time Out named you like one of the 50 <laughs> London Londoners kind of shaping the city's cultural landscape. Um, why do you think it's important to really highlight representation, especially in the creative industries? Because I think mm. for me, as someone who's been in the industry for quite a long time, and we'll mm. get onto this a little bit later on, like, you know, the kind of the BLM movement, what that represented, especially for our community. But mm. what 
voices like your voice and my voice, what the weight of that is in our community. Why is it so important that we kind of highlight and champion representation in the creative industries? I mean, it's like we've seen some of the stuff those infographics say, like nothing moves without black culture like <laughs> there is no Sis, way that you can do you want to say that again for the people at the back <laughs> do you want to say that again <laughs> louder for the people at the back clear your throats <laughs> like nothing moves without black culture and actually at the helm the very center of those cultural moments is always black women we drive culture we move culture we are the ultimate influencer we are the ultimate innovator there isn't anything that we are not at the center of so that's why i'm just like when people don't include us when people don't um they see us as an afterthought i'm just like it's always gonna flop it's always gonna fail if you're panel or your event doesn't include at least one black woman it's not inclusive because mm-hmm. black women our identity and black people you know we sit in the intersect of where our race and our gender constantly collide and that means that we have this very unique experience that it can cannot be re- you know replicated mm-hmm. and you know the industry specifically the creative industry has a long way to go and it has made some kind of changes to be better but I do think that there is so much more that can be done to work with true industry leaders who are already shaping the future that we are trying to see. You know, sometimes you can't wait for the, what was, what was the thing? You basically can't wait for the the, the shepherd to herd the sheep. You have to kind of move it along. You have to kind of do it already. And there are loads of people in the industry, yourself included, who are actually like, far more far more innovative than any of these kind of industry uh, uh kind of agencies and brands and stuff who could be leading the way but aren't necessarily given the opportunities to do so and mm-hmm. i think that's where the industry definitely needs to shift it needs to say you have way more power than we do and we need to give put that power back in your hands and let you mm-hmm. lead and let you go off and do your thing um that's like the next shift that I like to see. I've been in the DNI space and like a, for, for a while and I kind of stepped out because I felt like there was more that I could do as a community leader than I could do working in the industry um, per se for like an agency, for example. And I think there are so many of us that exist outside of that space. We can see everything that's going on. We can see all the problems. We can see how to fix them. We just need the in to kind of do that work and to kind of make those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's one of those things where it's like, if if people at the table truly believe that black folk deserve to be there, we wouldn't even be having conversations about DNI. This would just be Sis. within the bread and butter, within the, the cracks of the industry. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's so interesting that you say that because obviously after BLM, my inbox, I've never seen my inbox <laughs> pop off so much about, can you come and consult on this? Can you come and speak to this? Oh, we really want to yeah. get your thoughts on this. And don't get me wrong, you know, it was an ama- it was amazing to be in a space yeah. where, you know, one, you were getting paid for your opinion. And yeah. two, you know, you, you know, there were some companies who were really like in the grit of, okay, fuck, mm. we really need to like change. We messed up. Yeah. We messed up. But my whole narrative, and it, it's going to continue even post this whole mm. movement now, because I almost feel like the word diversity and inclusion have become marketing buzzwords, if I'm mm. honest with you. But mm. I feel like at the same time, my thoughts on it has always been until your CEO board or your director's board or your leadership board is diverse, mm. my dear, 
we don't want to hear it. We don't <laughs> care because you can give me every option under the sun on how your employment's going to change and mm. how you're going to reach out to this new community and you want to engage more in getting black employees. But the underlying ethos of what the mm. company is about is not going to change unless your director's board change, unless your, mm. set, your leadership teams change. Senior, and that's, yeah. babe, sis, that's literally been the conversations that I've been having because to me, it doesn't really, it's almost like they always want to make changes or they want to hire more black models or they want to mm. work with more black influencers. That's great. Mm. But the bottom line is behind the scenes is mm. what's really happening. So let's be making your back of house match your front of house, your Instagram <laughs> front of house. Let's make all of it align up, you let's know, match. <laughs> let's match it all up. So let's talk about unmarked women because, you know, that's something that I know that you started really early. Um, yeah. What was your inspiration behind it and what gave you the kind of purpose to get it all going? So for me, I think like many other people, many black people who kind of go into higher education, like uni was mad. Uni was like Mm. a mad emotional, mental experience. And as soon as you graduate, you finish, you kind of spend hours in the library and then suddenly you're thrown into the, the world of work. There was a transition that I just felt like there was just it just took such a mental toll. And I was having like the worst time working in the job that I was in. And although it was exciting, I just felt like my mental health was just absolutely in the toilet. And Mm. I remember at that time I was doing loads of research to understand like um, a bit more about mental health in the UK, about women's experiences and to just be connected to more black women in the creative industry. And there was nothing, there was no interviews, there was no articles, there was one article in The Guardian and it was done by this woman who did research, who was making the connection between, you know, the long-term effects of racism and how it can kind of really add and affect black women in specific ways but Mm. everything else was tailored towards african-american women and to black men talking about male suicide and stuff so i was just like where are the conversations about women in the uk and black women's experiences um so it was a really deeply personal project of mine it was just for a channel for me to kind of have conversations with other black women about their mental health at that time i was on like a really long waiting list with the nhs and my family weren't really ready to have that conversation so like every creative I created a project and that project turned into like this huge thing um you know I I used to go meet with every single one of the artists that were in the exhibition I met with them in Ace Hotel I got them like a four pound hot chocolate and then I just talked to them about mental health and we just connected on such a deep level that they Mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of the exhibition and yeah I think that's how I started really flexing my curatorial experience because I was just creating this thing out of the pure love and passion and desire to see more conversations happening that it went from being like an exhibition to like film screenings and we had events and workshops and I even kind of had like an internship program that was happening alongside it and it just took my career from like like someone who was just doing their thing to suddenly being someone of importance I did like a mm. TEDx I did another exhibition with Gail Dem's takeover of the VNA and it just started a really amazing career for me and it just allowed me to see that outside of what I studied and what I was really passionate about and what I did in my nine to five I could really turn this project side hustle into a a whole new career for myself um so it was I guess the beginning of of everything I have now it was where I kind of put myself out there and said I'm gonna start this thing I'm gonna have this conversation and I'm gonna just create um so yeah so would you say that that was kind of the foundation to Black Girl Fest I would say so yeah because mm. Black Girl Fest became like almost like 10 times the size of what I created Mm -hmm. with Amas Women it was just like this but like more of it (laughs) so it's Mm. like it also was just 
because you know we were talking about mental health but then there are so many other conversations to have about mm. black women's experiences in the UK and 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 so many other mediums to have that conversation through not just art maybe producing other content maybe doing some kind of activation or collaboration or something um so yeah I think from that moment in 2016 when I kind of really thought about myself my identity where I where I was placed in the world what I wanted to do with my life suddenly it was just like black women and then everything mm. I did from there was just like well can I have to champion a community gotta to have to create things gonna to have to really advocate and empower and stick up for and support and nurture and um stuff that I was always doing before but now I felt like I had created the tools or I knew what tools I needed to just mm. go and make this a real thing um so yeah so let's get into black girl first because well, first yeah. of all, I'm a big champion of it. I think it's amazing what you built. Um, and Thanks. I think it's important that people understand the value. And this will go back again to like an organic network building. Um, mm. And what you said earlier about like, you know, having those kind of cu- cultural leaders leading in conversations mm. that they actually know about. Um, mm. So talk to us about Black Girl Fest, like what actually goes into creating your own festival? Because obviously we get to see all the shiny on social media and your amazing panels <laughs> and all the amazing work that you do, but we must understand, we need to know the, this, we need to focus. This is about the business. <laughs> we, we, need, we need to know what goes into creating the festival. Give us the real gist. Oh man. I mean, creating such a large scale event like Black Girl Fest, just, it takes a lot of operational business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to be, logical you have to be a team player you have to know how several different pieces of a puzzle work to make this one thing work which is why you get the glossy finished product at the end right because there has been meticulous planning and over planning and um I think for for anyone that's listening and is really interested in doing something like this it's one having a really strong community and understanding who you're creating this space for what that community needs and how you can constantly create um really engaging programming events activations whatever it be for that community with Black Girl Fest it was like a walk in the park like we programmed in our sleep because it was very much just like we know what our community needs organic uh, yeah Mm. we plugged into every cultural conversation when it happened and we knew how to kind of expand on that like a really great example was like last no really great example was 2019 the last physical festival that we had we um one of the events was about the science of black hair and I think we've seen lots of different kind of hair shows we've seen lots of really different kind of panel discussions about black hair and we just felt like those conversations are just repetitive right black women care not just about what products they put in their hair but how to make their hair better so let's teach them the science behind their hair because actually there aren't a lot of black trichologists who study black hair so we brought in this incredible trichologist who spoke about the science of black hair and it was oversubscribed when I tell you people were sitting on the floor I was like yo this is a fire hazard <laughs> they're gonna tell they're gonna tell they're gonna tell us to leave but and then people were emailing like can we get her slides and I was like that's her life work like this is like it was just so so engaging and people were just like you know if you know if you have the knowledge and the, and the access to that kind of information you can make better informed decisions about what kind of products you go down how to do your hair and kind of protective styles but also how to be informed for mothers who had kids with younger with with younger kids um and men in general loads of men who wanted to know how to take better care of their children's hair so it's like making that kind of 
kind of information accessible through the festival is how you kind of be can be really smart with programming um but you know working with venues in London who which are notoriously like stressful and expensive and working with different suppliers from like people doing like um building like the AV and the technical stuff and then working with printers and, and making sure that all the kind of displays was correct and also managing a large team to make sure that everyone can make sure the festival runs itself like so that everyone has a job and that all needs are met constantly um to up the ante in 2019 we even um, worked with the give blood donation center where we actually had people donating blood on the day um because we know there's such a shortage of black blood donate blood donate donators so we worked with them to actually install um beds so they can start they can essentially collect blood um which was such a big thing for them because there's only two donation sites in london and they're not based in heavily black areas so they have to do a lot more to be in the community than expect people to come to them um so it's things like that that goes into planning a, such a large-scale event but yeah if anyone's listening you just have to be meticulously organized or have a team of people that can kind of be organized around you but other than that it's just literally having fun like it's so much fun like this job is mm. fun like what is this this isn't like a job job like I'm, I'm I entertain and I I engage and I I share knowledge with black women as a as a profession and it's this is this is so much fun like it's yeah mm. <laughs> so obviously black girl first is built a growing community of over like 30 plus online IRL and maintaining a network is tough. Any mm. tips? Because I get asked this a lot like, oh my God, you seem like you know so many people. What's the best place to go to network? And I'm just like, there isn't a best place. You just network organically. But yeah. have, do you have any tips for kind of, you know, maintaining your network, especially with such a growing c- continuous community? Yeah. I think the best tip I can give right now, just because of the kind of time that we're in where everyone is more online than they probably want to be or need to be, is, is to kind of take the more anthropological approach where you are just an observer of everything. You don't have to engage mm. with everything, but you can observe it. And I think for people who kind of work in the kind of cultural curatorial space is that you can observe everything and just know of everything that's happening. So like, for mm-hmm. example, I know about every trash thing happening on Twitter right now. So I don't engage with it, but I know of it because I know what my community are engaged with. That allows me to keep touch points of what conversations are hot and what conversations aren't. And actually that is just constant data collection, right? Just knowing mm. actually people are really interested in this platform called Clubhouse or people are really interested in hearing more about um, you know, biz- small businesses, people are really thinking about supporting or switching from buying from their local super drug to buying from small business owners. They're really engaged with that kind of content. That's mm. a really interesting, like, it allows you to basically constantly know the no, but not have to be a part mm. of the no. And I think for a lot of people right now with like trying to stay online and trying to keep up with everything, like it's just a lot, it's just a lot. Um, interestingly, these social media platforms have given you, <laughs> have changed their algorithms so that you can just get <sighs> a snapshot <laughs> mm. of everything you need to know and then just like bounce, right? Mm. doesn't work, but it doesn't really good for the creator, but it definitely is good for someone who's kind of just... Um, data collecting he's just trying to find out all the touch points the highlights everything I need to know from like the most engaged stuff and then I can just bounce um mm. so I would take that approach but definitely I mean you have to you have to network right you have to stay connected with people 
those kind of industry leaders, those trailblazers, understand their pain points, understand their needs, understand what kind of um, where they kind of want to be in their careers. Because when you follow and you track people's journeys like that, you find that actually they could be doing something in a new space that's really, really interesting. So like, for example, like I love the fact that the girls from Receipts are now writing a book and actually mm. a lot of black women are writing books. So we're going to kind of really navigate in the literacy space. And so that can really lead you into thinking about how to work with people who would want be, want to be called podcasters to kind of people who are now going to be called authors oh, and actually mm. how people really engage with with that content. So it's kind of tracking people's, um journeys networking with them engaging with them and staying connected with how their career is developing because that can move you into a really interesting space as well but yeah yeah there's a lot of networking and and speaking with people and staying engaged with people's content but obviously not to detriment of your own well-being uh, we'll get to that one in a second (laughs) so I want to talk to you about more business as well because I know you became kind of like a VC scout and angel investor um and you really worked hard to make sure that you know underrepresented founders got an opportunity to be able to pitch um for funding um Mm. what well I want to kind of get into how you got into that and then I want to move on to kind of talk about like what tips you could maybe give anyone listening to this podcast who's interested in looking for investment so let's start at the beginning how did you become a VC scout and angel investor and why was it important for you to kind of really again look out for those underrepresented founders? Yeah, sure. So I kind of interesting, like found myself in like the tech ecosystem. So I, I was working for a DNI um, inclusion organization, and one of the first people that I met on that course was a VC themselves. And I remember just being in a space with him and just being like, "This is probably the first time I've come into close proximity with someone who works in this industry." And then when I was leaving that job a couple of months later to really concentrate on Black Girl Fest, um, my CEO at the time was just like, oh, I really want to support Black Girl Fest. Are you thinking about getting investment yourself? And I was still trying to figure out like what route to go down in terms of fundraising or whether, you know, I would just go through an angel investor. And I think as well, I'd never been or had anyone in my family who's kind of run a business, but also been in that kind of tech ecosystem. So I was just kind of like Mm. in that world trying to figure out where I belonged. And I got introduced to this amazing um, woman called Czech, who interestingly was kind of partnering up with the guy that I met (laughs) when I was working my other job. And they were going to raise a fund. And a part of that fund, um, they were going to kind of have like a team of VC scouts who were essentially going to bring founders to that fund. And after meeting with her, they went to the US, they raised about 34 million. They came back and they were like, okay, we've done this. Now we, we need like scouts essentially to bring underrepresented founders to the fund and because of the community that I'd already created they were like we'd love you to be a part of it so yeah so most of last year I was kind of working as a VC scout essentially just scouting different businesses that I think um, they should make an investment into and a few months into that position um, they also started thinking about how to basically create a group of uh, angel investors because there is such a, like there is so <laughs> such a little amount of black angel investors that are out there because naturally angel investors are just high net worth people who just have mm-hmm. loads of money and they can just make those investments. So they wanted to create this program and um, select people, interview people to be a part of their Ada Angel program. And yeah, I became one of those five people. Um, and with that, I have been given well. 
covered the cost of me to be on the training program which I did over like the summer the summer autumn period last year and they also gave each of us £50,000 to make five investments into businesses of our choice mm-hmm. um, so we write our own investment memos we kind of have these one-to-ones with founders and we really build relationships which is like so crazy but it was just so exciting because I was just like oh my gosh I'm really in this right now like I went from like (laughs) just meeting these people to learning more about this space and then suddenly like I found myself like on a training program and I'm really in this um so yeah for me I've the, the kind of thesis that I've developed in what I'm looking for intrinsically flat out it's kind of black women founders mainly because there is such little investment that goes into black women um, who have their own businesses. And if I have the opportunity to kind of make five investments, I'm going to do it all in black women, period. And (laughs) I'm just, I'm really, I'm really pleased that I'm I'm in the position to do that. Um, But for me, I'm really interested in kind of like consumer-based brands, brands that are kind of super community driven, mainly because I know that's how I can bring my, my, my most value, um, fintech brands as well as, um, kind of work for, uh, yeah, fintech brands as well. And I'm just really excited to kind of work quite closely with founders who I'm really inspired by founders who I think are building like the next big, amazing product that is going to shape the entire industry. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I'm learning so much, but also I'm learning as I go and I'm learning from other people and I'm connected to other people who are also learning. So I'm just really, I'm just really excited to be meeting with other black women investors, other other black women VCs and um, just to continue to grow and learn from that as well. Um, But it's an interesting one because it's one of those ones when I, when it was announced that I was an Ada Angel, I had such a huge influx of people from my community who were like, oh my gosh, like, I really want you to invest in me, da, 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 da. but actually I realized that there was a huge knowledge gap when it came to other black women um, founders understanding what VC investment means, understanding what equity means, understanding that you can bootstrap for a very long time and you can even think about doing revenue, revenue-based financing. Um, and there is very little, there's some research that exists out there for like the UK Europe space, but not a lot. Whereas in the US, like, you know, you've got, big, big VC funds and brands who were constantly trying to support black, black female founders. And in the UK, not so much. There's still lots Mm. to do. There's still lots we need to kind of really address. Um, So crossing the line or crossing the kind of barriers between um, the VC space, but also the tech ecosystem, there's lots of work that needs to be done still. But interestingly, a lot of the major players know that they have to do something and are willing to do that work. So although I've kind of, I always say like, I've kind of navigated the creative arts and now tech space. And in each time I find myself in that DNI kind of conversation, <laughs> I, I've, you know, create, creative industry is slow moving, but it's moving. I mean, the arts industry is... <laughs> It's, it's even slower, but it's trying to move. Whereas the tech, it's more rapid. There's more conversation. I feel like loads of people are kind of paying attention and they kind of need to be directed, which is why I was saying like industry leaders have a, a real power to play in, in, in being real decision makers, right? And working with senior teams to do some really impactful work. Um, but yeah, for anyone that's listening that is really interested in learning more about um 
the various different options that you can go down for raising investment, for financing. Um, definitely get in touch with me because I've I've spent a lot of time like speaking to a lot of different founders to kind of do that educational piece that is missing, but also to have conversations, to give feedback on their decks, to um, kind of share a bit more about what I'm looking for. I'm slowly, slowly building my own network. So if it's an investment that doesn't come from me, there's other people that I can share it with and be like, hey, you should check this out. Constantly sharing deal flow with other people, um, with other black people who want to make those investments too. So if it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. And yeah, being in this ecosystem has just been like, I, I say it's kind of like walking into Disneyland because it's just like, wow, okay. So do you lot are making money, money? I've got you. <laughs> they're making long money. But I would love to ask you, like, what, ma- what makes a business stand out to you? What would you, is it like, because I think this is one of the questions that, you mm. know, even for me as a business owner, if I was looking for investment, it would be really good to hear from your side. Like, you know, is it mm. a, like having really a cultivating overview or insight into your business? Is it more like making sure that the mm. finance makes sense? Like what really makes a business stand out to you? I think for me, there's two things. Um, And I think this is just personal to me because I'm a product junkie. I'm just design led, creative led. For me, whatever, what tickles my fancy first is probably the product. Like I always say, Mm -hmm. if I'm geeking out about what you've created or plan to create, so obviously it can be pre-product, then that's a really good sign because I just want to know more and I want to speak to you and I want to ask you questions. And um, that's a really positive sign. And also I think having a really strong team um, if that founder seems like someone who is committed, who's put their all into it, who's maybe either studied or built their experience to to do this thing, that shows me that this person knows what you know. They're they're, they're really going to back this for some for some time, or they've built a team around them where this is a walk in the park for them because you know they've got a solid team, they've got all the experience, and they're just ready to go for it. And they just need that one bit of investment to really just like be a rocket. Um, so it's that. And then thirdly, I think about where I can add value because as an angel investor, we kind of work slightly different than VCs because VCs, you know, I think they're, they're sometimes given the, <laughs> the perception of them being quite like sharks. They're just kind of like, you know, money, money, money and figures and KPIs and all kind of stuff. With angel investors, we add so much more value than the money that we bring. Um, so I want to know that if I'm kind of, um, uh, an angel investor or working with the founder quite closely that there's something that I can offer that I want that person to be like, you know, you've got X, Y, Z, and I'd really love to learn from you. I really love to be connected. And that makes that angel investor feel kind of valued. So I think about where I can add value as well, but also I think there's, there are some wild cards out there. You know, there's some deep tech stuff that blows my mind that I don't even know where I can add any value because I can barely understand it. But I do think there's always something that I can bring in supporting their founder or thinking about how they can build community, thinking about how they can be smart with marketing. There's always something that you can add. Um, So yeah, whether or not it's something that I'm really passionate about and geeked out about or that I don't really understand, but I want to be involved. um, Those are the kind of the three factors that I really focus on and, and, and I look at. You see, guys, you see why you need to be focused. You see why you need to rewind and just play that again so that you know you can hit up, you can hit up Nicole. If you've got a business that you want her to check out, I'm sure you can check her out. Um, and um, I think one thing that I found really inspiring about when I found out, you know, when I did my research more about you was just like so much about what I see on socials about you 
adds up as well because obviously you know you kind of build up your perception of how you think someone is or getting to know them through social media platforms but I would say like we've obviously connected seen each other over events and like you know like even within lockdown now and like seeing how much you've spoke about like mental health and being a mental health advocate which I'd love to get into in a little bit but I think for me what inspires is that there's so much beauty and brains you know and I just feel like (laughs) for me it's just so inspiring every time I see you and I'm just here listen you have really heard me talk this podcast because even me I'm, t- I'm also <laughs> taking notes yeah because me too I'm gonna be focused <laughs> but I did want to get in a little bit about self-confidence as well because I think that's a lot especially yeah. in, the, in the black community even me myself I've had to improve on my self-confidence and even feeling like mm. I'm worthy and I'm good enough to be in this space how when mm. I, I was going to ask you when do you feel the most comfortable in your own skin Ooh, where do I feel the most comfortable? Probably when I'm around like a room of black women or just black people in general. You know, when you can just be like absolutely be yourself and you can act a damn fool and nobody's around to kind of like make you feel any kind of way. That's probably where I like thrive like the most. Mm. Um, I also feel, and this is probably because I really just like miss in-person events, but I just miss being at an event, speaking with people, networking face-to-face. Like that's where I'm just like, you know, who wants to chat? Let's chat. Let's chat. You know, if, see, if I had business cards, I'll just be like, yeah, let's get business cards, just business cards. I really just miss like being in those spaces because I think I love talking. Like I love being in that kind of com- those conversations with people, either one-to-one or in a room or a group of people. But I, like, that's where I thrive. I always felt like I was the, my brother was a writer and I was a speaker and I found my confidence when I realized that actually public speaking could really be my thing. Like I could really just mm. let it all out and speak about my truth and speak about my experiences and people really understand. So when I honed in on that skill, I was like, Oh, just keep flexing it. Keep doing more mm. speaking stuff. Keep telling my story, keep um, speaking to people and being really engaged with them and not letting that engagement go. And, um, yeah, and I, by flexing that, it made me more and more confident. So that's why I think I, I would literally just thrive, like throw me in the deep end. That's some random networking event. And I'll just make friends with everyone, basically. <laughs> and I know you have, like I said earlier, like you've been a big av- advocate for mental health. Like, how have you been coping mm-hmm. in lockdown? Because let's let's get to the realness of where we're at right now. You know, we're not really going to yeah. be doing business cards in <laughs> for the foreseeable <laughs> future. hasn't got us going to be doing that for the foreseeable future. But I think... <laughs> it would be great to kind of hear for you, like maybe some of the coping mechanisms that you've had um, during lockdown and what's really helped you get through Mm. it. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's just been so much, right. I think everyone's got their own way, but for me around, gosh, it was this time last year, this time last year, um, I decided to go back into speaking with a therapist like regularly. Um, I really wanted a channel to kind of just have conversations about how I was feeling and not kind of, put that expectation on my friends or my partner because I just felt like Mm. it was just a lot everyone's going through their own so I used I guess you know the money that I wouldn't be spending on going out or paying for Ubers or paying for like dinners and I just said you know what I'm going to invest in myself um I know that's also very much a privilege because not everyone can but there are so many free services so many various different options where you can go down to get free um therapy sessions but this Mm. was the one thing I was like I'm going to commit to it I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to make sure that I don't cancel or I don't do the homework and so that was one of the things that I was just like okay I'm gonna start and I'm gonna really commit to this um another thing was just practicing stillness more and being kinder to myself there were some days where there was no output there was nothing coming out of me some days I just 
couldn't do any work and it's really easy to kind of put a lot of pressure on yourself because you see everyone else looking busy you know oh I got up at 7am I've already done all my emails I've already and you're still sitting there your pajamas like oh like (laughs) I can't do anything like be kind to yourself like yeah like you can't you can't you know I can't come and kill myself yeah Like, if you wouldn't do this in a situation where there wasn't a paracetamol outside, why would you do this now there is a pandemic? Why would you do it? Like, why would you Mm. come and kill yourself just because you're not inside your house? Like, there was a point of time where everyone was just trying to like, oh, I'm going to use this time to like write a book. I'm going to use this time to do it. I said, no, I'm going to sleep. Because in my professional career, I genuinely believe none of us will ever get this downtime ever again in Jesus' name, right? We won't ever have this Amen. time where we've been like, oh, we got to sit down and we got to chill. We got to like really fit. We won't get this because we were all working at 100 miles an hour, right? So mm. if this is the downtime that we've all been given, oh, use it. Because once we come out of this situation and we kind of go into a new normal, we want to make sure we're replenished, we're, we're good to go, we've made all the right connections and we can go mm, ham jump on that flight make that connection do that event do, the, do, do, do you know what I mean we want to be able to do that but if you work yourself silly you're not going to be you're not going to be able to exist in this new normal once we mm. will come out of this mm. and so yeah be kind of to yourself practicing stillness so quite literally doing nothing and being okay with it um I'm trying to do more things like go for more walks and actually get some more fresh air obviously when the weather wasn't so great it wasn't possible mm. but um kind of keeping up with physical exercise, physical activity of some sort is just really important um, simply because being stuck at home, sat down for so long, it's just not good for your whole body. Um, your physical health is obviously massively connected to your mental health. So you need to keep that body moving. You need to keep that blood circulating. And you'll realise, actually, I'm not so tired all the time. I have mm. more energy to do my work and I can concentrate on stuff more. So um, I need to get better at it myself. But it's one of the things I'm like, OK, I have to stick to it. You know, if I can stick to this thing, I can stick to this other thing and we can just keep it moving. Um, speaking to friends and family, you know, but also realizing that a lot of my friends have kind of become like my family. They've become like the people who have been, you know, listening to me cry about, like, oh, you know, when are we going to come out of this? Like the people who I've planned the ridiculous amounts of brunches with, the people who, you know, we've been able to lift each other up on Zoom or like watch some stuff on Netflix together. Like it's really like those people who, have been like really riding for you and with you this whole time who I think will come on top for like you and a lot of the relationships a lot of people are going to have once we come out of this like there are so many people who I didn't think you know we would feel like family but they are like family and so really cherishing those connections and being and realizing that once we come out of this I'm going to really celebrate people even more now mm-hmm. um and continue to um, cherish them and and look out for them and do the most because it's been really hard but it, we've all been able to get through it together by just being mm-hmm. there for each other so so there's that element as well yeah, I love everything that you said about exercising stillness because that's, <laughs> I think, honestly, one of the things that I found the hardest at the beginning because mm. my life was so active and mm. I really struggled at the beginning of lockdown because, you know, especially when you're not used to like having so many people around you. Um, yeah. And like constantly going out, like my life was very active. I was always Mm. on the go. So to have Mm -hmm. all of that almost like come to like an emergency break stop, I was Mm. really struggling, but I definitely used exercise.
exercise as a mm. way to kind of just keep my brain going. But yeah. like similar to, to what you said earlier is that I felt like learning to be okay with just being still, which was mm. so hard. Like so again, hard. because like you said, you see, you go on socials and you see this person is doing this, this person's doing that. Like this person <laughs> says, okay, I'm going to write a book and learn this digital just. And I was like, oh my God, should I be doing more? Like I've always yeah. Like, pressure should I start doing video editing in this time but actually it was just like you said just like sleeping and yeah. like actually getting a good solid eight hours and I could see the difference like on my skin and mm. on my body and just like looking yes. after myself first and I very yes. agree with you in that saying that you know we're just to be just grateful for this time because this allowed us to just really reset and made a lot of us think mentally about what's going on what do we want what do we deserve but also the stuff that we want to cut off and like like living spending way less like I know mm. now hmm, I can really maintain like I can really <laughs> without that shoe I can really manage about that bag I can really manage about that jacket outfit every day online shopping yeah now we're really gonna manage and maintain the double M manage and maintain and And so for me like that's something that I definitely you know learned and took away from this whole experience so just to round up sis what's next what can we look forward to in the the lovely black black girl fest or whatever it is you're working on next give us the gist what can we look forward to seeing uh yeah I mean with black girl fest like we're super super interested in I mean I've taken everything I've learned so far from being in the kind of angel investing space the tech ecosystem noticing where there are gaps where I can kind of really feed into um what, what those gaps look like. And for me, straight away, it just makes sense with Black Girl Fest, right? A community for Black women and the binary people, an ecosystem that is missing out on really engaging and investing in Black women. Like that just makes the most sense to try to mesh that together. So at the moment, we're working on a really exciting project where we're trying to support more Black women founders. We're trying to give more resources. Sure we're trying to create more events, more programs, more funding opportunities, right? They're doing it in the US. Let's do it over here. Like why don't we have those kind of things set up so that either if you're launching a business or building a business you have the resources right here to do exactly that and also the mentorship connections the role models to know exactly how to do it yourself and I see so many incredible businesses that just need that one thing to be able to go and do it and um so yeah so I I definitely want to build a platform that does exactly that for our community um aside from that I'm also thinking about how to you know I'm part of a program that's like year long but I'm thinking about how I can do more angel investing like what does that need to what do I what do I need to have right capital resources networks like how can I build that out so I can continue doing this work after the program that's something I'm really passionate about because if if this was possible for me it's also possible for other people um so once I kind of figure out what I'm doing and I kind of learn as much as I can I want to think about how to make other black women um uh, to become angel investors how can I support someone else mentor them give them what I've sh- what I've all the tabs that I've got share that with them you know mm-hmm. connect them with other people like we need more black women in this space um and if it's just access to capital we should be able to get that capital and and train people up because this is such an incredible position and opportunity other mm-hmm. people need to be on this too um so I'm passionate about doing that I mean once the doors open I just want to I just want to travel the world <laughs> I'm with you. Sis. I want to travel the world. You. I'm with you. And connect with, with more you. black women globally. And mm-hmm. and I want to do more events and more um program stuff. And I want to engage with more younger, younger black girls. Oh my gosh, from schools. And my niece, who's like 12, like there's so much in her world that I just want to like do and create for. Um, 
yes, you can engage young kids with TikTok, but there's so much else that they're super, super engaged with and they want to learn more about. So I want to support younger generations as well. Um, yeah, there's just, the, I feel like even though like we can't physically go places and, you know, there's a whole pandemic outside our house, the world is our oyster <laughs> back women. No, the world is really our oyster because the opportunities are endless. That's why I said we're the ultimate influencers, we're the ultimate innovators. We can create things from thin air and they pop off. So that's why I'm always just like, do you know what? Like whether I create this thing now or in five years time, by way of it being for and designed by black women, it's always going to be a smash hit so it's just about going ahead and doing that thing like I always say to people people always I think the question I get asked a lot is like what what quote or piece of advice would you give to people and I always say the quote that was given to me which was that I've got to really find the source for this but um it was that everything that you've ever wanted is already yours it's just about how you go and get it you know and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm a strong believer in like if you put in that work, if you make all the right connections, if you really put yourself into it, those different things that you want for yourself, they're already yours. You know, you're, you're already there. Um, so all the things that I just talked about wanting to go ahead and do, like, I believe that those things will happen because I'm already working on that to make it a real thing, you know? You're going to accept <laughs> your destiny, yeah? Because we're, we're it's all oh, about positive affirmations, yeah? So you're going to, you're oh, going to want it, you're going to see it, you're going to believe it, and it's going to be yours. Yes. <laughs> you're going to claim it, sis. So if anybody wanted to follow you on socials, wanted to hit you up after hearing this episode, yeah. what's the best way for them? What's your social apps? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, you can connect with me across all the social medias. My at handle on Instagram and Twitter is nCrystal, K-I-Y, K-R-Y-S-T-A-L. Um, I'm also, I, I love LinkedIn. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just so great. So holler at me on LinkedIn, Nicole Krenzel. Um, I love connecting with people on there. I love sharing articles. Um, and yeah, I mean, find me across social. Also email me. My email can be found on all my socials as well. So if you want me to look over your deck or if you're looking for advice or I've meant, I'm mentoring one person at the moment, but I've been trying to find the capacity to try and do more. But I definitely want to do more mentorships if, if I can or be on a program that's doing mentorship. But I'm really about, I, I say I want to do that. But also I feel like I mentor a lot of people all the time. Like I'm constantly giving out free information. So that's why I'm just, I've never been able to be on like a proper, <laughs> a proper mentorship program, but I do want to actively support people for specific needs. So mm. yeah, if there's something that you think that I've done and you want to learn how to do, like reach out on whatever social platform or email um, and I can definitely support, or if not connect you to someone who can, um, but yeah, that's all the social medias I'm on. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know what my name would be, but uh, sis, <laughs> I leave that one to the new gen. But my babes, <laughs> I appreciate you giving up your time to like get, drop us those gems and teach us that knowledge. And sis, you just have to just keep shining. Like, there's nobody that I've seen oh, on Instagram. There's nobody that I've seen in real life that has better skin than you. I'm not gonna lie, guys. <laughs> Nicole has the best skin. Nicole needs to give us her skincare regime. We'll save that one for another podcast. But M, it's been emotional. <laughs> we appreciate you. We see you shining. Thank you. Uplift you. We can't wait to see what you do next. And we appreciate you giving us our Thank time. You. We'll speak to you soon. Appreciate you. Bye, guys. It's all over, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. For any questions, please also feel free to send me a signal on Instagram or Twitter on the handles at IreneTTYA or at TTYA Talks.